This program is brought to you by Bobbleway Media, under the oversight of the elders of the Chipman Road Congregation in Lee Summit, Missouri. You're listening to Opening the Scriptures with Don Boyd. Welcome to the program. This is Don Boyd. I want to welcome you to Opening the Scriptures. Today we're going to continue our study in Romans chapter 7. We're going to begin in verse 12. In Romans 7 verses 12 and 13, Paul mentions that the law is good because it shows sin to be what it really is. Paul gives the answer to the question that was previously asked in Romans 7, 7, where it says, What shall we say then? Is the law sin? God forbid. Nay, I had not known sin, but by the law. For I had not known lust, except the law had said, Thou shalt not covet. Now in verse 12 of Romans 7, Paul says, Wherefore, the law is holy, and the commandment holy, and just, and good. Well, the law is holy because it was given by God. In Exodus chapter 20, verse 1, whenever he was given the Ten Commandments, it says, given them to Moses, God spake these words, saying, and then he lists the Ten Commandments that are given there. The law is just because it is right in its demands. In Psalm 19, verses 7 and 8, Psalm 19, verses 7 and 8, it says, The law of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The statutes of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. So God's law is good and it is just, it is holy. Again, the law is good because of the end for which it was given or the purpose for which it was given. I want to read Galatians chapter 3 verses 21 to 25 from the literal translation. Galatians 3, 21 to 25. It says, Then is the law against the promises of God, let it not be. For if a law had been given, which had been able to make alive, indeed righteousness would have been out of law. But the scripture locked up all under sin, that the promise by faith of Jesus Christ might be given to the ones believing. But before the coming of faith, we were guarded under law, having been locked up to the faith being about to be revealed. So that the law became, the, the, so the law has become a trainer of us until Christ, that we might be justified by faith. But faith coming, we are no longer under a trainer. Now I want to read the King James Version of those same verses here. That is Galatians 3, 21 to 25, where it says there, Is the law then against the promises of God? God forbid. 
For if there had been a law given which could have given life, verily righteousness should have been by the law. But the scripture hath concluded all under sin, that the promise by faith of Jesus Christ might be given to them that believe. But before faith came, we were kept under the law, shut up unto the faith which should afterward be revealed. Wherefore the law was our schoolmaster. You'll notice the literal translation said trainer. The American Standard Version says tutor. To bring us unto Christ that we might be justified by faith. But after that faith is come, we are no longer under a schoolmaster. So the law is no longer in force, but it was good because of its purpose. The law was given to show how bad sin is, which shows how bad we need a Savior. Romans 7.13. Romans 7.13 says, Was then that which is good made death unto me? God forbid. But sin, that it might appear sin, working death in me by that which is good, that sin by the commandment might become exceeding sinful. In other words, the law is showing how really bad sin is. And you know, Satan uses God's commands to lead a person to disobey God's commands. In 1 Peter 5.8, Peter stated this, 1 Peter 5.8, be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary the devil as a roaring lion walketh about seeking whom he may devour. But Satan will use God's commands. You think about Adam and Eve there in the garden. You know, where Satan said, you know, God had, well, put it this way, God told Adam and Eve that they should not or could not eat of the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And if they did, that would be sin. They would die. And Satan manipulated God's command into making Eve think it was okay to eat the fruit. And that's what Satan does today with the commandments of God as well. And the law does not work death. Violating the law is what works death. In 1 John chapter 3, verse 4, 1 John 3, 4, says, Whosoever committeth sin transgresseth also the law. For sin is the transgression of the law. So the law doesn't cause sin, but transgression of the law is sin. In Ezekiel chapter 18, look at verse 4. Ezekiel chapter 18, verse 4. God says, Behold, all souls are mine. As the soul of the Father, so also the soul of the Son is mine. The soul that sinneth, it shall die. You know, if, good, if people disobey a good law, the law is not to blame for their disobedience, and the law is not to blame for the punishment that follows the disobedience. And now in Romans chapter 7, verses 14 through 25, we're going to look at the wretched condition of a person outside of Christ. If you know someone who is not a Christian, this is their condition. 
Romans 7.14 states that the law is spiritual, but we are made of flesh. Romans 7.14 For we know that the law is spiritual, but I am carnal, sold under sin. And carnal means made of flesh. The law is spiritual. The reason being it is addressed to the inner person. Deuteronomy 6 verses 5 and 6 brings that out. Deuteronomy 6, 5 and 6. And thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thine heart, with all thy soul, and with all thy might. And these words which I command thee this day shall be in thine heart. So it is addressed to the inner person. The Jews, though, of Jesus' day and of that day, used the law as an external religion instead of an internal religion. In Matthew 23, 23, Jesus there tells the scribes and the Pharisees what they should be doing. Roman, or Matthew 23, 23. Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! For ye pay tithe of mint, anise, and cumin, and have omitted the weightier matters of the law, judgment, mercy, and faith. These ought ye to have done, and not to leave the other undone. So they did the very tiny things. They did the external things, but they didn't do the internal things, judgment, mercy, and faith. In Luke chapter 18, read verses 9 through 14. Luke 18, 9 through 14. And he, that being Jesus, spake this parable unto, us, unto certain which trusted in themselves that they were righteous and despised others. Two men went up into the temple to pray, the one a Pharisee and the other a publican. The Pharisee stood and prayed thus with himself, God, I thank thee that I'm not as other men are, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even as this publican. I fast twice in the week. I give tithes of all that I possess. And the publican standing afar off would not lift up so much as his eyes into heaven, but smote upon his breast, saying, God be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For every one that exalteth himself shall be abased, and he that humbleth himself shall be exalted. Now, sold under sin there in Romans chapter 7 means to be in the bondage of sin. Romans 6.16 gives us that idea. Romans 6.16 says, Know ye not that to whom ye yield yourselves servants to obey, his servants ye are to whom ye obey, whether of sin unto death or of obedience unto righteousness. So if we are yielding ourselves to serve sin, then we're sold under sin. The unlawful fleshly desires of man are predominant unfortunately a lot of times over the spiritual desires in 1 Corinthians chapter 3 we want to look at verses 1 to 3 
1 Corinthians 3, verses 1 through 3. It says, And I, brethren, could not speak unto you as spiritual, but as unto carnal, even as unto babes in Christ. I fed you with milk, and not with meat. For hitherto you were not able to bear it, neither yet now are ye able. For ye are yet carnal. For whereas there is among you envying, and strife, and divisions, are ye not carnal? and walk as men. They were following their fleshly desires. A person outside of Christ does not understand that sin is destroying him or her. That's Romans 7.15. Romans 7.15. For that which I do, I allow not. For what I would, that do I not, but what I hate, that I do. That you see the destruction of an individual who is not following Christ. You know, when Paul was persecuting Christians, he knew what he was doing, but he was ignorant of the nature and consequences of his actions. We want to turn to Acts 26, and we're going to look at verses 9 through 11 to see Paul explain this. Acts 26, 9 through 11. He said, I verily thought with myself that I ought to do many things contrary to the name of Jesus of Nazareth, which thing I also did in Jerusalem. And many of the saints did I shut up in prison, having received authority from the chief priest. And when they were put to death, I gave my voice against them. And I punished them oft in every synagogue, and compelled them to blaspheme. And being exceedingly mad against them, I persecuted them even unto strange cities. So he was definitely, he knew what he was doing. But ignorance of sin is no excuse. If we don't know something is sin, it doesn't make it not sin. It's still sin. In Acts 3, we'll look at verses 14 through 17. <clears throat> Acts 3, 14 to 17. It says there, But ye denied the Holy One and the just, and desired a murderer to be granted unto you, and killed the prince of life, whom God hath raised from the dead, whereof we are witnesses. And his name, through faith in his name, hath made this man strong, whom ye see and know. Because we're looking here at the lame man that Peter and John healed. Now let's continue there in verse 16. Yea, the faith which is by him hath given him this perfect soundness in the presence of you all. And now, brethren... I wot or know that through ignorance ye did it, as did also your rulers. So just because they were ignorant did not make what they did not sin. You see, the sin problem is not with the law. It's with human beings. Romans seven sixteen. Romans chapter 7, verse 16. It says, if then I do that which I would not, I consent 
unto the law that it is good. The law is good. It's the individual that does the consenting to sin. You know, an alien sinner recognizes that there is right and wrong. But without Christ, he's helpless. There's no way his sin can be taken away. And sin will take control of a person's life. Romans 7, 17. It says there in Romans 7, 17, Now then it is no more I that do it, but sin that dwelleth in me. You see, this verse draws a conclusion from the previous verses. Let's look at those again. Romans seven fourteen tells us that the carnal person is sold under sin. Romans seven fifteen tells us that the man sold under sin practiced the very things he hated. And in, in Romans seven seventeen, Paul concludes the thought by saying that the man under sin actually desires to do good, but sin is in control of his life. Sin has him in bondage. He is a slave to sin. You know, that shows the powerful nature of sin when a person allows sin to control his mind. Sin enters into a person when he reaches an accountable age and remains in him until he is redeemed from the bondage of sin through his obedience to the gospel of Jesus Christ. You know, sin does not dwell in the Christian. When we look in 1 John 2, 1, 1 John 2, 1, it says there, My little children, these things write I unto you that ye sin not. And if any man sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. The word sin here in 1 John 2, 1 is in the aorist tense. That means it is occasional, isolated actions or acts or what are your thoughts, whatever there. So this is not a continual life of sin. These are occasional, isolated actions. In 1 John 3, 9, it says, Whosoever is born of God doth not commit sin, for his seed remaineth in him, and he cannot sin because he is born of God. That doesn't mean a person never will sin. This is in, first of all, the first word sin is in the present tense, which is a habitual lifestyle of sin, sin dwelling in them. So the word sin there, they not commit sin and he cannot sin, they're both in the present tense. Both of these refer to a habitual lifestyle of sin. And again, sin dwelling in that person. In 1 John chapter 2, verses 6 through 10, we read the following. 1 John 2, 6 through 10. He that saith he abideth in him, in Christ in other words, ought himself also to walk even as he walked. So stopping there for a moment, if we say we abide in Christ, we need to follow Christ, do the actions, do the things, say the things that he 
did. Verse 7, in other words, walk his walk. Verse 7, brethren, I write no new commandment unto you, but an old commandment which you had from the beginning. The old commandment is the word which you have heard from the beginning. Verse 8, again, a new commandment I write unto you, which thing is true in him and in you, because the darkness is past and the true light now shineth. The darkness of sin, of a sinful life, is now past, and they are following the true light. You know, instead of going down the broad way through the wide gate that leads to destruction, they are now following the straight gate and the narrow way that leads to life. They're following the light. <clears throat> Verse 9. He that saith he is in the light and hateth his brother is in darkness even until now. That's just saying there that a Christian who hates his fellow brother and mankind, he's not walking in the light anymore. He's in darkness. He's following the wide and broad way to destruction. Verse 10. He that loveth his brother abideth in the light, and there is none occasion of stumbling in him. We care for others, and there's no occasion of stumbling in doing that. Now, in Romans 7:18, Paul continues the thought that a person outside of Christ has allowed sin to control him. Verse 18. For I know that in me that is in my flesh dwelleth no good thing. For to will is present with me, but how to perform that which is good I find not. Well, the law clearly points out what a person needs to do. But because of the weakness of the flesh, it's impossible to live the perfect life that law demands. In Romans 3.20, Romans chapter 3, verse 20. It says, Therefore, by the deeds of the law, there shall no flesh be justified in his sight. For by the law is the knowledge of sin. We know what sin is. So our fleshly appetites are not sinful. It's how we satisfy that appetite, sinfully or lawfully that makes it sin or not. The problem is the person is willing to do right, but in his actions he shows that he fails to obey the law. He wants to do good, but the weakness of the flesh allows sin to take control of his actions. Again, again we're looking at a person who is outside of Christ. Now, even if a person outside of Christ wants to do good, he or she still sins and is still a slave of sin. Romans 7, 19. Romans 7, 19 says, For the good that I would, I do not. But the evil which I would not, that I do. You know, it is not the law's fault that a person is a slave of sin. It's that person's fault. And every person is responsible for his or her actions. Nobody causes anyone 
to sin. You know, you might remember, if you're old as I am, you might remember Flip Wilson sometimes saying, the devil made me do it. Well, that's not true. He's trying to lay the blame on the devil when he himself is the one that decided to do whatever it was that he's trying to justify his actions for. In Romans 7.20, we have a description of the non-Christian under the bondage of sin. Romans 7.20 says, Now, if I do that, I would not. It is no more I that do it, but sin that dwelleth in me. Paul is giving a very impressive way here of presenting the power of sin. Sin is very powerful. You know, you hear the saying of sin that it'll take you further than you want to go and keep you longer than you want to stay. Sin is powerful. And sin and God cannot dwell in the person at the same time. In John 6, 56, Jesus makes a statement here that a lot of people misunderstood when he said it. John 6, 56, he says, He that eateth my flesh and drinketh my blood dwelleth in me and I in him. What is he talking about here? Well, some try to say this is the Lord's Supper you know, the unleavened bread and the fruit of the vine. He's not talking about that. He's talking about those who feast on the word of God. In 1 John 4, verses 15 and 16, 1 John 4, 15 and 16, it says, Whosoever shall confess that Jesus is the Son of God, God dwelleth in him, and he in God. And we have known and believed the love that God hath to us. God is love, and he that dwelleth in love dwelleth in God, and God in him. So here we have God dwells in the Christian, those who obey the gospel and keep obeying the word of God. Now, the person outside of Christ may not want to sin, but they do anyway, and they're slaves of sin, Romans 7, 21. Romans 7, 21 says, I find then a law that when I would do good, evil is present with me. See, this describes the condition of a person under law outside of Christ. People know there's right and wrong but they still do wrong. And the person outside of Christ delights in the law emotionally. In Romans 7.22, Romans 7.22, it says, For I delight in the law of God after the inward man. So Paul is describing the conflict between what a person outside of Christ wants to be, and that's a being approved of God, and what he actually is, a sinner condemned. Now you go back to Romans seven sixteen. There, this individual who is outside of Christ says he consents to the law 
intellectually. Romans seven sixteen again. If then I do that which I would not, I consent unto the law that it is good. That is an intellectually consent to the law, but he still doesn't do it. You know, in Romans seven twenty three, we see the helplessness against sin of a person who is outside of Christ. Romans seven twenty three. But I see another law in my members warring against the law of my mind and bringing me into captivity to the law of sin which is in my members. The word members there refers to the members of body through which sin expresses itself. You know, that may be your hands, your thoughts, your tongue, your, whatever you're doing, your actions, they're expressed through the members of the body. And it shows the individual outside of Christ that they are in captivity to the law of sin. So we have another law that he talks about there. I see in my another law in my members. And that is that sin stands opposed to the law of God. And that is the same as, as he stated earlier in Romans 7.21, that is evil is present in me. Let's reread Romans 7.21. I find in the law that when I do good, evil is present with me. That's the another law he's talking about here. And then he says, it is warring against the law of my mind. Well, that is, he's talking about, I have the awareness of God's law. But it's warring, the law in my members, the law in me is warring against my awareness of God's law. And then he says, it is bringing me into captivity. In other words, sin gains control of this person's life. So Paul gives a description of the non-Christian who does not have the gospel. They may want to do good, but when they sin, they're helpless. There's nothing they can do about that sin except obey the gospel. And as long as they're outside of Christ, there's nothing they can do for the sin. You see, you cannot get out of the penalty for sin by yourself. You have to go to God for the answer to get out of the penalty of sin. You have to have a death. You have to be put to death. And that death is baptism. If you no longer want to be a slave of sin, baptism is the answer. In Romans 6, verses 3 and 4, it says, Know ye not that so many of us as were baptized into Jesus Christ were baptized into his death? 
Therefore, we are buried with him by baptism into death. That's the death, that's death to sin. That like as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of Father, even so we also should walk in the newness of life. So there's that death. And I want to read a little further here in Romans 6, starting in verse 5. For if we have been planted together in the likeness of his death, we shall also be in the likeness of his resurrection. Knowing this, that our old man is crucified with him. That's the death. It continues to say that the body of sin might be destroyed, that henceforth we should not serve sin. So that body, that old body of sin is put to death in baptism when we are buried with Christ in baptism. And then he mentions there also that we should walk in newness of life. Verse 7 here of Romans 6 says, For he that is dead is freed from sin. Newness of life, a totally changed individual, no longer under sin. Verse 8 of Romans 6 says, Now if we be dead with Christ, we believe that we shall also live with him. So we have died with Christ. That's the death that has to take place. The crucifixion of our old body of sin. And then in Romans 7.24, we see the agonizing cry of a sinner that sees his woeful and helpless condition. Romans 7, 24. O wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from the body of this death? See, this person that we're looking at here that Paul is describing is completely under the dominion of sin and is helpless in his desire to free himself from his lost state. I am a wretched individual. He knows no way to escape sin's clutches. Who shall deliver me from the body of this death? Well, when Christ is revealed to him, he finds the answer. You know, we are dead in sins before we obeyed the gospel. Ephesians 2, 1 through 5. Ephesians 2, 1 through 5 states, And you hath he quickened, who were dead in trespasses and sins. You know, the hath he quickened there was added by the translators, but it just simply means you were made alive. But let's read it without that statement that was added by the translators it says and you who were dead in trespasses and sins wherein in time past you walked according to the course of this world according to the prince of the power of the air the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience now I want to stop there for a moment and he says you who were dead in trespasses and sins and he said, then he describes how they were dead in trespasses and sins. They walked according to the course of this world. They walked according to the prince of the power of the air. That's the devil. 
the spirit that now worketh in children of disobedience. The devil is still working in those outside of Christ, and unfortunately those who some who say they are in Christ. Verse 3, among whom also we all had our conversation or our lifestyle in times past in the lust of, the, of our flesh. You know, it's lust of our flesh fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind. The mind was under bondage of sin. The flesh was under the bondage of sin. So it's the flesh and the mind there that were controlled by sin. And were by nature, he continues to say, the children of wrath, even as others. In other words, we were facing God's wrath when we lived that way. Verse 4. But God, in other words, in contrast to that scenario, but God, who is rich in mercy for his great love wherewith he loved us, even when we were dead in sins, hath quickened us together with Christ. By grace are ye saved. We were dead in sins. He has made us alive with Christ. Then he says, by grace you're saved. We are saved by God's grace. God offered, and we'll notice there, he's rich in his mercy, verse 4. He loved us with a great love, and yet he was willing to offer his son as a sacrifice so that we can be made alive together with Christ. God, in his grace, sent his son into this world that we do not have to receive what we deserve. God gave us what we do not deserve through his grace. He does not give us what we deserve through his mercy. In 1 Corinthians 11, 29 and 30, Christians, we find, can be dead in sins when we turn our back on God. 1 Corinthians 11, 29 and 30. And this is speaking about not partaking of the Lord's Supper in a proper way. It says, For he that eateth and drinketh unworthily, eateth and drinketh damnation to himself, not discerning the Lord's body. Now stopping there for just a moment. We're not looking at, you know, I heard someone one time say, Well, I didn't live a good life this week. I don't deserve to partake of the Lord's Supper. Well, who didn't sin that week? That is not what he's talking about. The word unworthily there is an adverb. In other words, it describes the eating and the drinking. What is taking place in our minds when we are eating and drinking the Lord's Supper? And what is the reason why that they are taking unworthily? They're not thinking about the Lord's body. They're not discerning the Lord's body. They're not thinking about his crucifixion, what he went through and remembering that as we partake of the Lord's Supper. And then he says in verse 30, and he's talking to Christians, For this cause many are weak and sickly among you, and many sleep. He's not talking about going to sleep in the sermon. He's not talking about having COVID-19. He's talking about weak and sickly spiritually, and some of them were spiritually dead. They were dead in their sins. 
because they did not partake of the Lord's Supper properly. That's some of it right there. The only one that can deliver the sinner from death is Jesus Christ. Romans 7.25. Romans 7.25. Here Paul reverts back to the one who is still a slave of sin, and yet he sees the answer for his sin. Romans 7.25, I thank God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then with, my, with the mind, I myself serve the law of God, but with the flesh, the law of sin. So whenever we are converted, whenever we become a Christian, whenever we crucify that old man in baptism, then we serve the law of God. But if we stay in the flesh, we're still going to serve the law of sin. In John 14, 6, John 14, 6, Jesus said this, I said this unto him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. Jesus is the only way for salvation. Obedience to the word of God is what we must do in order to have that salvation. In Acts 2, 36 through 38, Acts chapter 2, verses 36 through 38, in the sermon there that Peter gave that day, he said, Therefore, let all the house of Israel know assuredly that God hath made that same Jesus, whom ye have crucified, both Lord and Christ, in other words, both ruler and savior. Now when they heard this, they were pricked in their heart and said unto Peter and to the rest of the apostles, Men and brethren, what shall we do? Then Peter said unto them, Repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins, and ye shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. In Acts chapter 4, verses 10 through 12, he states about the same thing. Acts 4, 10 through 12. Be it known unto you all and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom ye crucified, whom God raised from the dead, even by him doth this man stand here before you whole. In other words, he was healed. This is the stone. In other words, speaking of Jesus being the stone. This is the stone which was set at naught of you builders. In other words, you cast him away, which has become the head of the corner. In other words, it's become the spot where everything comes from, that being Jesus. Verse 12. Neither is there salvation in any other, for there is none other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. You can't be saved in the name of Muhammad. You can't be saved in the name of Joseph Smith or any other false teacher or denomination, any denomination or false religion. You see, people of the world serve sin in their body. You know, sin dominates their mind. Christians serve God with their minds, and our minds 
controls our bodies. In Christ, there is no condemnation when we are made free from the law of sin and death. Romans 8, 1 and 2. We're just going to give a brief picture of next time. There is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ, who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus had made me free from the law of sin and death. So in Romans chapter 7, we see we have a tremendous battle with sin before we become a Christian. And that battle doesn't stop once we become a Christian, but we are free from that law of sin and death. We're free from sin. So before we obey the gospel, sin condemns us and we're lost. But when we obey the gospel, we are free from the bondage of sin and we should willingly serve God. If we don't, we're still under the bondage of sin. Again, we still battle sin, but now we have forgiveness of sin through Jesus Christ and the hope of eternal life. So again, this is Don Boyd. I want to thank you for tuning in to the opening to scriptures today and look forward to being with you next time. When you're in Moody, Missouri, you're invited to visit the Moody Church of Christ located on Highway E in Moody, Missouri. The congregation there meets on Sunday morning at 10 a.m. for Bible class, 11 a.m. for worship, and then again at 6 p.m. for Sunday evening worship. They also meet at 6 p.m. on Wednesday night for Bible study. We thank you for listening today. We hope you enjoyed this program. You can find out more about Byway Media by visiting our website, bywaymedia.org. You can find all of our podcasts on all major podcast platforms. As always, we thank you for listening.